Amen. So glad you're uh, with us today. I know that we've got many, many that are um, uh, out for different reasons and some that are um, quarantining themselves because of uh, the virus that seems to be overwhelming the country. There are some that uh, think are on vacation. A lot of hopefully are joining, um, joining us online. Um, but it's good to be back. I've been on a three-week break, and I just came back uh, really Monday, and so I'm trying to get my ministry legs back up under me, reminding myself that, uh, <clears throat> that, I, that I can do this. Um, I want to say just a couple brief things, and then we'll jump into the message. Um, on the center of your tables, uh, there's a little handout for um, our Summer of Hope initiative. It starts today. It is so natural for everything to turn inward. And so what we need to do as a church is to force it back outward, that this is not only about uh, us. Um, and so we're going to highlight some of our mission partners today. Our focus is on uh, the PAL people um, over in Asia. More information's there. I think uh, Jamie's going to come talk at the end of the service a little bit more about them. But I want to really encourage you to pray for them. This has been a crazy season and um, you know that as well as I do, the changing opinions from everybody. Everybody's got an opinion, right? And everybody's sharing that opinion. Um, but I just want you to encourage you that God's in control. Like, we, we should be eternal optimists as people because... Because God's got this in control. At the, the book we're looking at, in the book of James, he starts out by encouraging us to consider it all joy, my brothers, when you walk through trials of many kinds. And James is writing this to an audience who don't just have uh, face mask mandates. He's writing this to an audience that have been forced from their homes, that are being persecuted. Their very lives are threatened because of what they believe. And still James has the audacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to tell them, have joy, consider it joy because of what it's producing in you. God is doing a work in you and he's not done. Praise the Lord he's not done. And he wants you um, to hear some things from him. So in, in that vein, we're going to talk. Um, and if you can take, if you got a Bible, if you would turn to James chapter 4. And while you're turning there, um, the kids that are in here with us. The kids that are in here with us, um, you have a little packet on your table, and um, in that packet, um, there should be some, a place for you to follow along in your uh, notes and uh, draw something for me. I believe, kiddos, that God wants to speak to you too. This is not just something you have to endure. I believe God wants to speak to you as well. So James chapter 4 this is the last of the sermons uh, in the book of James on the tongue. If you remember, we were walking through this thematically. And so we've been talking about the way we use our words and the power of words for several weeks. Let's look here, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. 
The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Reveal to us the things in our lives that need to change. Convict us of sin. Comfort our hearts, those that are weak and weary. Pray that you would bring just overwhelming comfort. You bring peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Words aren't used in a vacuum. They communicate both life and death. Words reveal ultimately what's in our hearts. We can all look back on things we wish we wouldn't have said. Every once in a while, my wife Ashley reminds me of the things, some of those things that I wish I would have never even said. Today we're going to look specifically at slander and uh, judgment or judgmentalism. The sins that one author uh, refers to as our respectable sins, a description that obviously points out its ridiculousness. If you've been in church at any time at all, some things become very apparent. And one in particular is that some sins have been elevated as things that are just serious no-nos, we should not do them. And then other things that Scripture calls sin and offense to God, we kind of diminish and sweep under the rug and slander and judgment or judgmentalism have a judging spirit are two of those that we don't really talk about a whole lot. So I want to open this morning uh, by zooming out quite a bit as we prepare to end this discussion on controlling our tongue, the power of our words through the book of James. And this is not an issue that James just speaks of on his own. It's an underlying theme throughout the entire Bible. It's mentioned in the majority of all the books as far back as Leviticus, God make it, makes it known that he's offended by those who gossip or slander to use their words to tear down others. Over 60 times in the book of Proverbs alone, one example is in uh, chapter 10, verse 18. It's, it reads, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. Not just in the Old Testament, this issue is frequently mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that we will give an account for every careless word that comes out of our mouths. Paul goes in on this pretty hard in 1 and 2 Corinthians. Even Peter uses some very direct words in 1 Peter 2. He says, get rid of all slander. And then we get to the book of James. To remind you, James is Jesus' half-brother. One who didn't believe in Jesus for his entire life. One who Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to James. And then James quickly becomes the leader of the early Christian church. In his book, there are 83 verses in the book of James. And 25% of them deal with the tongue or how we speak. James begins to describe that this is one of the family traits of being a son or daughter of God. It's how we use our words, how we control or should control our tongues. Narrowing in on this specific passage, it's sandwiched in a passage that's really about submitting ourselves to the Lord. You saw that there in verse 7, submit yourselves therefore, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
I said I came back to work Monday. And um, there is, if I can just be real honest with you, um, our faith family, there is a lot of struggle in our church. It seems like every day I've got, I got a crisis phone call about someone whose faith itself was in peril, whose marriage was on the rocks and uh, headed towards some kind of ugly demise, people who were despondent and depressed. Every day. Even Saturday. No Saturdays off. I got a call yesterday. Someone wanted me to come over and pray, and we did. The enemy is alive and at work. I promise you that. We're going to see some of that here even in a minute. But the remedy really quickly, and this is even not what the passage is on, but it ministered in my heart so much, is this admonition from James to submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. We're supposed to draw near to God and he draws near to you. Let's not move past that main point of this text without us listening to that ourselves, submitting to God, drawing near to God. Verse 11, he goes on to say, do not speak evil against one another. I think the NIV says, brothers, do not slander each other. Slander is a subtle form of self-exaltation. Translated exactly in the uh, NASB is to speak against one another or to talk one another down, usually behind someone's back. Tyndale, the great Bible translator, when he was translating, defined slander as the unhelpful repeating of stories about the wrongs and offenses of others. Maybe you're thinking as I was when I read that definition for the first time, that's 90% of all the media in front of us. Every news story, every magazine, um, hey, Look, look, you know, look what's happened to this person. Look who got caught doing this. This is one reason why this is such a big deal. A steady diet of this kind of talk numbs us to the fact that this is a considered sin and will begin to shape our thinking to adopting this kind of talk in our own lives as something that is normal. And it's not normal. This is not acceptable in the sight of God. It's not in line with the characteristics of being part of God's family it's incompatible and inconsistent and contrary to our identity as sons and daughters of God. Paul would war- warn the Ephesian church, I think I have this, the screen behind me, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting, mouth, uh, co- corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then he goes on, James does, at the end of verse 11. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. Talks about judging, the sin of judging others. James is not calling for us not to hold other believers accountable, nor is he preventing his audience from forming opinions about certain actions or ideas. People often all the time use the words of Jesus out of context I've heard it so many times scripture says judge not lest you be judged they will use this words about judging others as an excuse to allow sin in their lives and the lives of their believing friends without ever addressing it and let me 
say something clearly. When we see sin, something clearly set out in Scripture as something believers shouldn't do, and we see it in the life of someone in our faith family, another believer, James is not asking us to set that aside, to set the Word of God aside as to avoid judging. James is not asking us to do that. He's speaking more that comes with the attitude of judging other people when it's really none of our business in, in, in the immediate sense. See, slander and judging are almost inseparable. I think the NIV says anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him. The two are almost synonymous with one another. When we slander someone, we're almost always making a judgment about them that they've done something they shouldn't have done or they aren't doing something that they should be doing. Think about this for a minute. In a court, when a judgment is handed down, it's only handed down after all the facts have been heard and everything that can be heard has been heard and been exposed and been presented. And at that time, a judgment is made. But the problem that James is addressing related to slander and judgmentalism is the fact that the facts have not all been heard. And often we don't want to hear all the facts because then we couldn't pass it along as slander. So the pattern here that James is warning us against is someone jumping to judgment without all the facts, maybe just some of the facts. And in our social media world, we are so good at being the judge of everyone else. Hey, can you believe what they did? Hey, look at what they said. And if you're not careful, you will get in this downward wormhole spiral of reading comments on social media. And it will take you further all the time you forming judgments, possibly all the time you passing on this as slander. When we speak against someone else, we live into our old nature, living into the world's standard and the world's framework. Church, we are called to be different. Just as Paul said in, uh, a minute ago in that passage in Ephesians 4, the things that are supposed to come out of our mouth are the things that are good for building up as it fits the occasion. Building up, words that build up and bless and give life to other people. We live in a battle between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world and darkness on one side and the kingdom of God and light on the other side. And James is just reminding us, that our kingdom citizenship is not in this world or the culture of this world. Our kingdom citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. We have the family traits of God the Father written on our hearts, supernaturally enabled by the Spirit of God inside of us. And when we peel back some of these layers, we really see where slander and judgment come from. They are the rotten fruit of roots planted in some bad soil. Now listen, let me just talk to you from my heart. Over this time, our schedules have been crazy. We had a, you know, shelter in place for a couple months, and now we're trying to make up for everything that we missed and trying to get back to the closest thing to normal that we might know. And most of the time what we're doing, I read an article last week that said media consumption of Americans is up 350%. So here's the problem, and this is why it's no surprise to me, shouldn't have been a surprise to me this week when I got one after another after another phone call of people's lives that are literally falling apart. Because we've been planting our roots in soil that is bad. 
If we plant our roots in soil that is unhealthy, that is toxic, if we're spending hours upon hours upon hours a day reading fear-based media or watching, you know, the impending doom that's all around us, instead of looking at the truth of God's word, we're planting our roots in things that make us sick. And of course, when we plant our roots into rotten, toxic soil, those things are going to produce rotten fruit in our own lives. Jesus warned us about this. I read this verse this week, and I have not been able to get rid of it. This is, so I found a way to put it in the sermon today. I, I just want to share, Mark eight fifteen. Jesus is with his disciples. He had already fed the 5,000. He's asking the disciples again, and just shortly after that, if they've got any bread. They're saying, who brought the food, right? Who brought the bread? And then Jesus and that often does. He takes this. He will like step out of this like current situation and drop this truth bomb on his disciples. This is what he does here, Mark 8, 15. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, that surprised me, that verse. It didn't seem to fit in with what it was. So I started to look at it and read it multiple times and get out the commentary and say, man, what is Jesus really going after here? Look at this framework that he says watch out almost like you know we're about to you're about to run into something watch out maybe you say uh maybe heads up hey heads up like literally duck get out the way playing golf you yell the the word for as if you know you might be hitting something jesus says watch out beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod Beware to see or perceive the impending danger. This is a real issue Jesus is trying to alert the disciples and us to. The leaven wasn't merely yeast. It was a pinch of dough that was left over from the previous batch. Like you would use in making sourdough bread. And that was how the bread was commonly leavened in the ancient world. A little pinch of dough from the old lump would be just enough to make the whole new lump of dough rise and puff up. So Jesus often uses this picture of yeast or leaven to talk about the danger of sin that creeps into our lives from the world around us. And he is warning the disciples here specifically about two different kinds of leaven. And this was an affront to my heart. I did not like hearing this. I did not like reading this. But it was so good. It was so constructive leading to repentance in my own heart. The work of leaven, considered illustration of sin and pride because it puffs up. That's what sin does to us. And such a little can corrupt such a large amount. Take heed again, Jesus says. Beware of the evil way the Pharisees and Herod think about the kingdom of God. Both Herod, who was the king, remember the person that Jesus would stand before? And the Pharisee idealized the kingdom of God by using it to domineer or to take power and authority. Herod through political power, Pharisees through religious power and authority. They both missed the kingdom of God, although it was right in front of them because they had the wrong thinking. This is what Paul would say to Romans, that we should be actively renewing our mind, lining our thoughts and ideas up with what Scripture says. Look, here's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit rooted in pride and arrogance. Read through the book of Luke how many times 
Jesus comes so hard at the Pharisaical spirit. One Pharisee in the temple praying aloud, Oh God, I am so thankful I'm not like this sinner Gentile over here. The sinner just beating his breast in repentance. Oh God, I need you. And Jesus would say only one left justified from that meeting at the temple that day, and it was not the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee, this religious spirit, is one rooted in pride and arrogance. If you study the Pharisees, they lack humility. Their attitude is a heart filled with pride. They think, I'm better than you. I've got it all figured out. I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. Pride doesn't listen. It already has all the answers. And this is the religious spirit. It's void of love and kindness, of empathy and humility. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you'll preach a passage and on the way out the door, you might shake my hand and say, Pastor, man, I wish my brother or sister or wife were here to hear that message. They needed that message. And I want to shake you by the shoulders and say, no, you need that message. That is a prideful statement to think that the word of God does not apply to me here. And be so careful that this has not already crept into your hearts, friends. That you might think, well, you know what, I don't, this thing about slander and about, this has nothing to do with me. Here's how I know that I've allowed the leaven of the Pharisees to poison my mind and my heart. When I do speak the truth, I, I do so without a real desire for reconciliation and friendship. I just want, I have this truth in my hand and I want to go beat people in the head with my truth club until they finally see the light. And you'll just say things like, man, I'm just speaking the truth. But you're missing the point. Ephesians remind us if we're going to speak the truth, we've got to do so in love. The love without truth is just brutality. It does not reflect the heart of God. That is not the example of Jesus. He said, greater love has no man than this, than what? He laid down his life for his friends. There's this desire to love and show my love through reconciliation, through sacrifice. We look at the life of Jesus, we see his humility and his empathy and his kindness. That's what should be in us. A Pharisee would never hear this message because they never think they're wrong. And I'm concerned, church, that many of us have become accidental Pharisees. That wasn't our goal. That wasn't the point. But we've easily let this religious spirit that I've got everything right and all these sinners who are so far less than me that haven't seen the light and we look down upon them. And Jesus is warning us, hey, friends, be careful, beware, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees will creep in. We need to pray as David did, Lord, search my heart, change my mindset, carve that out of me through repentance so that I can be a kingdom-focused man or woman. But Jesus gives us another warning here, and man, this is so applicable to us today. He warns us against the leaven of Herod, which is a political spirit. Everything was political for Herod. It was all about being in power. It was about overseeing his territory with fear and manipulation. And so that's what he did. And not much has changed in politics. 
You know what most of politics is driven by today? Fear and division and manipulation. This is the political spirit at work in our world. We're only going to see it. We're in election season. I mean, we're going to see the political spirit everywhere. So this is the caution of Jesus echoing from my heart to you. Watch out for this, friends. Because this will seep in and you'll start to think that this is part of the kingdom of God. And it's not the kingdom of God. political spirit seeks to divide at its core it wants to divide i love how every news article you read about any congressman or congresswoman anywhere like has those little letters after their name that they're a d or an r so that we can form opinions about them before we ever read the article oh that's i expected that from them of course that's what they would say of course they would it just seeks to divide it seeks to bring division Oh, I don't even need to read that. I already know what they're going to say. The political spirit is not interested in unity. It's interested in division. You're either in group A or you're in group B. And if you're in group A, then you agree with everything in group A and you disagree with everything in group B. And if you're in group B and you disagree with one of our values in group B, we're going to push you out. You're not, you know, nope, you're either all in or you're not in. But you make your own group out there. You go be part of the Green Party or something, right? We're going to kind of push you out. This is what politics does, a spirit, this political spirit that creeps in. This idea of the cancel culture. Well, you say something we didn't like, we're just going to cancel you. We're not going to listen to you. You've upset us. Friends, where, where, what have we gotten ourselves into? That, that no one can speak truth? Just so you don't think I'm just up on some kind of soapbox. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a friend who spoke some truth to me, and I was deeply offended. And they were wrong in what they said. Mostly wrong. I, I'll own a little bit of it. They said it early in the day. I don't know if this happens to you, and I'm just like running it over in my mind, and I'm making it so much of a bigger deal than it really is, and I'm just over and. And she's like, Luke, what's, what's wrong with you? And I started telling her, I'm just getting, man, this person just said, mm, I can't believe them. I can't believe they said and asked. And, and she said, Luke, don't be the guy that no one can speak hard truths to. Don't be that guy. So I just went and got alone with Jesus for a little bit. And you know what he said? The same thing. Don't be the guy that no one can speak truth to. Don't be the girl that thinks that you've got everything in your life in the right order that no one can speak real truth to. It might not all be right, but you can learn something from it. You can glean something from it. Let the Holy Spirit be the filter, not your arrogance or your pride. The political spirit seeks to divide and separate. And you see how this is so different than the kingdom of God. The spirit of Jesus Christ, whose main goal is reconciliation and restoration. That's why he came. As a matter of fact, church, you know what? That's, that's the label that he puts on us as a church. Covenant church out there on a sign. It should have been underneath that a church where reconciliation is our goal. That's, that's who we are. We're the reconciliation people. Reconcile people back to God and reconciling people back to one another. Sin comes to divide. The political spirit tries to divide. The, the religious spirit tries to divide. And this is what Jesus is warning the disciples. Dudes, 
y'all watch out because this is going to come for you. And if you get on some kind of tangent and you let that little bit of leaven from the Pharisee or from Herod, this political spirit or religious spirit seep in, it's going to distort your view of everything. And this is what scares me for the church, for our city, for our nation. This fear-based tactic, fear of being deceived, fear of being manipulated, fear of our nation being ruined or obliterated. That is the political talking point. If you don't elect our guy, the nation that you knew is gone. If you don't elect our girl, then the nation that you grew up in is no longer going to be viable for your kids and for your grandkids. They use these fear-based tactics. As if if we elect their guy, that everything's going to be going great. Hey, we've had every guy in there, both sides, all the sides. Is everything going great? Has it ever gone great? No. They're not the answer. And if you convince us to put our hope in some politician whose goal is just to divide, you're going to miss it. Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be Christians in politics. I pray for them every day. That is a hard job. This is what the political spirit's trying to do even in our church, trying to get us to operate in the spirit of fear. And here's the point that Jesus is making. Here's the point that I'm emphasizing this morning. We are not part of Herod's kingdom. We are not part of the kingdom of just a religious spirit. That is not who we are. There won't be any R's or D's on the placard into our mansions in heaven. There just won't be any of that. We're part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our great king. We are allowing his words and his Holy Spirit to direct us, not from a place of pride or arrogance, but or from a place of fear or division, but from a place of love and unity. If we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, if you're going to be the man or the woman that God's called you to be, we, church, we've got to be kingdom-minded. The political spirit's working overtime these days, the whole mask debate. Again, this is the A or the B thing. Again, trying to divide, trying to cause fear. If you wear a mask, then you're folding in your rights as an American and you're living in fear of the virus. Or if you don't wear a mask, then you must not love my grandmother. Neither of those things are true. But you see what the political spirit is trying to do? You against me. He's trying to do it right in the middle of the church. And we've got to be wise, friends, to know, listen, we don't think like that. that. No, 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 that's not true. With the race crisis that's going on, again, the political spirit seeking to divide. If you say black lives matter, that must mean that you don't care about cops. And if, if you want to stand behind cops, that must mean that you don't care about systemic racism. No, neither of the things are true. It's not either or. That is not the kingdom of God at work. Listen, I love you, but we've got to wake up. This is not games that we're playing. We are able as kingdom people to grieve with those who are grieving, to stand up against systems of racism and oppression and unrighteousness that we see at work around us. And at the same time, we can stand and support the police and the law enforcement. Man, what an incredible, difficult job they have. We can can do both. And if you don't say anything, everybody just assumes you're an idiot or a moron. You're like, listen. I'm not playing those games. I don't, I don't go by those set of rules. We are kingdom-minded people. 
Several years ago, my dad passed away on January the 19th. And two days later was Claire's birthday. And we're sitting around in the hospital room. After my dad had passed, we're in the waiting room. We're talking about funerals. And Ashley said, you know what, I really don't want to have Pappy's funeral on Claire's birthday. It's in two days. I don't want her birthday, that to be the thing. That every time her birthday comes around, she says, this was the anniversary of Pappy's funeral. So you know what we did? We didn't have it on the Saturday, which was Claire's birthday. We instead did it on a Sunday. And my whole family and some other friends, we rallied around on Saturday. And we put our grieving on hold. And we celebrated Claire with everything that we had. And the next day we went and had a funeral and we cried our eyeballs out. You can grieve with those who are grieving and still support the things that you need to support. This is, listen, church, this political spirit and this religious spirit will take our church and make it some kind of country club. And that's not what we're going for. These are not religious games we're playing or political games we're playing. We have got to be part of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul reminds Timothy, his son in the faith, that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. A sound mind, the ability to think correctly about situations, not in your own flesh. A sound mind. So before you start your next Facebook rant, before you slander your brother, before you start making judgments in your own heart about mask or no mask or whose life matters anymore. I want you to submit those things at the feet of Christ. And let him pronounce judgment over those thoughts and those words before they come out of your mouth. Or before they come off your fingers onto some kind of social media. We've got to take the warnings of Jesus seriously and beware of the leaven, the Pharisee, and the Herod. Back to James. People who speak with a judgmental attitude, people who slander, do so from this place of self-righteousness, pride. Further trying to elevate themselves and prove to themselves and others that they're better than they really are. And can we be honest, church, we're all tempted to do that. We're all tempted to make ourselves the center of our universe. We're tempted to make our little family the center of our own universe. So we slander and we judge to make sure that other people know that this other person is really a threat. They're not as great as you think they are. And I'm much better than them, by the way. James drives this point home in verse 12. Look at it with me. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's the one who knows himself and his own depravity who's actually able to speak truth with love. James 3 reminds us that words that nourish are both truthful and loving. It's only when we have truth and love that we really can speak into someone's life. Listen, again, can we be honest here? We're all guilty of this at some level. I'm guilty of this. Can't tell you how many other times 
I'll hear someone else doing something great for the kingdom of God. And I will be threatened by that. Their church is bigger, their ministry is better, they're sexier, whatever they got going. They've written books. And out of my mouth, this has happened. I'll say, oh, but, you know, whatever it is, that person's a seven-point Calvinist. That person doesn't even believe in the depravity of man. That, that guy, man, he's just a seeker-sensitive guy. He doesn't even preach the gospel. I'm guilty. And God has run me over with this message. Let only the things that build up other people come out of your mouth. I feel guilty because I am guilty. The things I say come out of my own evil heart. And I have continuously given voice to these things. As James says in verse 10 of the previous chapter, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. What's the remedy? What's the point he's saying it's got to be gotten rid of? We've got to get rid of it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not slander, verse 11. Do not judge. In the words of a friend, we need to drag this ugly beast out into the light of God's word. Verse 10 goes on to say, my brothers, these things should not be. It's not fun to deal with sin, but it's necessary. Look at verse 9. Verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then he will exalt you. Wretched, mourning, weeping. That doesn't sound fun. So repentance a lot of times isn't very fun. We've got to be honest about the very things that do come out of our mouth and the thoughts that we actually think and the religious and political spirit that has embedded itself in our mind and our heart. Here's the good news, friends. The remedy is the gospel. Just quickly as I wrap up, Isaiah 53. Phil, you can go ahead and head this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. I have to admit that I'm a wandering sheep. That every day, in a thousand different ways, that I'm tempted to choose my way over, the, over God's way. And I'm tempted to go astray. And it's in those times, and I do go astray. It's in those times i got to preach the gospel to myself. The gospel that saves me is the gospel that keeps me. Here's what I mean. When I go astray, how do we get this fixed? When we've got to look at the cross, all of our sin was laid upon him, this verse says. He took the iniquity of us all so that he could do what we couldn't do. So that he could be what we could never be. To be in Christ is to live this way, to be covered with the righteousness of Christ, to know that we haven't fully arrived, none of us are fully mature, we haven't all reached perfection, but by God's grace we are changing. And God's at work in us. The 
scripture that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This momentary affliction, light and momentary affliction, is producing in us. It's preparing for us this eternal weight of glory. If you keep reading that verse, the last little line of that little section says that Christ is working mightily in me. And that's what he's doing. He's working mightily in us, molding us and shaping us to the image of Jesus. And that's the call to us today, church, is to run to Jesus. Some of you, like the Pharisees, you think you've had this whole thing figured out. And the word of God to you is, listen, you you got nothing figured out, bro. You got to humble yourself and repent. Some of you, this political spirit seeping in, and you're thinking, man, you've been fighting against the wrong thing. Some of you don't get this because you're not in the family. You've never stepped across the line of faith and repented of your sin and committed your life to him. Friends, that's the invitation today, to come to Jesus. Others of us constantly forget our identity, and the invitation is still the same. Come come to Jesus. pray you take a step towards him today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it's your good news that motivates us to be in our everyday life what we are in our eternal standing before you. Lord, we need your word. I do think this moment before us is crucial and critical. And it's the church that has to stand up and be the church. Not just in what we say, but a message that is backed up by a scandalous humility in the way that we live. Lord, help us to love people with supernatural love. That they would say of us as they said of the disciples. Who are these uneducated men and women? with supernatural power to love and care. God, my heart is so broken for our city, for our church even, or for the phone calls I got this week for marriages that are on the rocks, literally. They're passed on the rocks. The, the marriage is done busted up. And God, it's only you that can bring renewal and restoration. For some that struggling with such dark depression. But I pray that they would see hope in the gospel. Well, that you love them and that you're for them. You see the book of Psalms that every tear that we cry, you collect in a big bowl in heaven. That's how much it matters to you. Every one of them. That our hurt has not been unnoticed by you. just inviting us to come back. Come back home. Give it to me. Take my yoke upon you. Holy Spirit, would you enable us to live the kind of life counterculturally in a world that's filled with chasing after their own pleasure and comfort and power. 
that you will enable us, just as you did, to take on the form of a servant. Not considering equality with other people something to be grasped. But we would die to ourselves daily and follow you. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. We're going to sing. I'll be back up in just a minute to walk us through.